The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Within a roughly 24-hour period, the Joe Biden presidency took a major, major hit with Joe Bob, uh, Joe Biden, not Joe Bomber, Joe Biden bombing Syria while appearing to back away from requiring the inclusion of a $15 federal minimum wage in the covid relief bill that's working its way through Congress. Now, on the minimum wage, the Biden administration has come out and said we're still committed to that. We might just do it outside of the covid relief bill. We'll get into that in a moment but not a good 24 hours for Joe Biden here. On Thursday, Joe Biden launched airstrikes in Syria. Now, why did Joe Biden do this? Well, he explained it or at least tried to in a letter to congressional leadership. Joe Biden said the strike was, quote, pursuant to the United States inherent right of self-defense, as reflected in Article 51 of the United Nations Charter. Biden further explaining that, quote, at my direction on February 25th, U.S. forces conducted a targeted military strike against infrastructure in eastern Syria used by Iran supported non-state militia groups. Those non-state militia groups were involved in recent attacks against United States and coalition personnel in Iraq, including the February 15 attack in Erbil, Iraq, which wounded one U.S. service member, wounded four U.S. contractors, including one critically and killed one Filipino contractor. However, we are right back to the same issue of a president obtaining authorization for use of military force through Congress. This was an issue with Barack Obama. This was an issue with Donald Trump. This is now an issue with Joe Biden. So there are two things here. First are the particulars of these strikes. This is just the latest of 20 years of American foreign policy all over again since 9-11. They attacked U.S. personnel in Iraq, so we're retaliating. OK, well, so what's the point here? The point is to send the message that we won't tolerate this. All right. And then what happens next? The attack sours any goodwill that there was to the United States. Nothing improves. We rinse and repeat for another five years of the same stuff. So I don't really care to debate whether this particular case. Well, there was a service member wounded and four contractors and a Filipino killed. And so this was justified because of that attack. To be honest, maybe it was under this completely sort of deranged uh, uh, framework in which we've been operating for the last 20 years. Maybe it was justified in that framework. Maybe it wasn't. The questions are two. Number one, will we ever have a president who actually dislodges the decades long status quo of repeating things that don't work and just extend the status quo? This obviously isn't going to do that, regardless of your opinion about this particular strike. And then further, we once again get to this issue of an authorization to use military force. This all goes back to resolutions from 2001 and 2002, which were passed to give the president the ability to go after the then president, George W. Bush, to go after those who did the September 11th attacks. It was used to go into war with Iraq in 2003, which didn't do 
the September 11th attacks. But then it has been subsequently used to uh, as the legal uh, justification for a whole bunch of these different strikes, U.S. strikes in Syria, U.S. strikes elsewhere. And presidents always point back to the 2001 uh, uh, AUMF authorization for the use of military force as to why they can do it. But can they? Many Democrats say no. When it's a Democrat in office, many Republicans also say no, although they tend to shut their mouths when it's a Republican in the Oval Office doing the same thing. So we can't be hypocrites here. If the AUMF didn't cover Trump stuff in Syria, didn't cover Obama, didn't cover things George W. Bush did outside of the scope of responding to 9-11, it can't cover things that Joe Biden does either. So we just have to pick one. And I believe at this point, 20 years later, the AUMF is definitely no good. So for me, this is beyond any debate about this particular incident, this particular bombing. This is about more of the same once again in these never ending conflicts. And then coinciding with the minimum wage disaster, Joe Biden included a fifteen dollar rather coinciding with the serious stuff is the minimum wage disaster. Joe Biden included a fifteen dollar minimum wage in his covid relief bill on technical grounds. It's not going to be in the Senate version of the covid relief bill. Why? The Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough says a $15 minimum wage provision doesn't comply with rules governing what can be done via budget reconciliation. So almost certainly, even though Kamala Harris could overrule that decision by the parliamentarian, the Senate will likely pass a version of covid relief, not including a $15 minimum wage. It'll go back to the House. The House will have to vote on that and it will pass without the $15 minimum wage. I don't believe that it's clear that a standalone bill on a $15 minimum wage makes it actually happen. That's increasingly what the Biden administration is pointing to, saying it's it's too big a step to override the Senate parliamentarian. We are committed to the $15 minimum wage, but we will do it separately. I don't know if that will happen. It's not clear to me that every Democratic senator wants a $15 minimum wage. So overall, not a good 48 hour period for Joe Biden. And we will, of course, be following this this week. Republicans know that they didn't suppress enough of the vote in 2020. If they had suppressed enough of the vote in November, Trump would be president right now instead of Joe Biden. So Republicans have launched a nationwide voter suppression effort. It's already underway with 253 different bills in 43 states. Many of these bills premised on false claims that Donald Trump actually won the 2020 election. Now, you have to give them credit. They see the problem and they're trying to fix it. The problem is record voter turnout in November gave the election to Joe Biden. As they see it, too many people voted. So the solution is to prevent people from voting. Now, all of these bills in some way uh, attempt to restrict voting and ballot access. The Brennan Center for Justice has a great analysis on this, and the playbook includes strategies we're familiar with. Make it more difficult to register to vote uh, by banning voter registration. That's automatic by shortening registration windows. That's one part of the playbook purge voters from voter rolls so they believe they're registered. They show up and they're not. Uh, you can do that by putting in place looser and looser guidelines for when people can be unregistered and removed from voter rolls. Third part, make voter ID requirements stricter and stricter. 
which we know disproportionately impacts poorer people. Now, how do they do this? The way you do it, it's almost evil genius in order to get the voter ID is free, as they say. But in order to get the voter ID, you require more and more documents that you have to bring with you to be given the voter ID. And these are documents which poorer people are less likely to have. People with more housing instability are less likely to have retained. And some of the documents you need to get your free voter ID cost money to get. OK, and they're documents that take time to get when people can't afford to take time off from work to deal with bureaucracy. So that's how you deal with this uh, quote problem of too many people voting through voter ID. Another approach is you add elements of voter intimidation to voting. You increase poll watchers, that type of thing. A few examples, Georgia Senate Republicans have introduced a bill that would end no excuse absentee voting entirely, meaning you can't just say I want to vote absentee because I want to. They restrict the reasons that you can give to vote absentee. Georgia House Republicans have their own uh, sweeping bill, which would reduce the early voting period. Again, just shorten the days, the number of days people can vote. Montana Republicans want to end same day voter registration. Missouri Republicans want a new voter ID requirement. New Hampshire Republicans want to ban out of state college students from voting in New Hampshire, and they want to end same day registration. Iowa Republicans already approved a bill that would shorten voting hours on and on and on. Now, at the same time that there are bills uh, proposed to limit voting, there are also bills proposed mostly by Democrats to expand voting access, and hopefully some of those will pass. But Republicans aren't even pretending They're, they haven't been pretending for a long time. They openly want to win, not by winning the hearts and minds of people with policies that voters will like. They want to win by making it hard to vote disproportionately for people that are statistically more likely to vote for Democrats at some point, And I believe that that point is now the only way to deal with this is to pass national election reform and to pass it in a way that it overrides state limitations that Republicans want to impose and to prevent the next president from just undoing it. Easier said than done. But is there any better time to do it than when Democrats control the White House, the Senate and the House of Representatives? for at least the next two years. The time to do it has to be now. And we'll be talking more about what that effort could look like uh, in the future. Find me on Twitter at D Pacman. Let me know your thoughts on this massive dump of voter suppression bills across the country from Republicans. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. Today's show is sponsored by an excellent audio book called Takeover, How a Conservative Student Club Captured the Supreme Court. This is the latest audio book from Noah Feldman. It just came out and Feldman actually narrates the audio book himself. Noah Feldman, of course, is a Harvard law professor and constitutional scholar. You may remember him from his prominent role in Trump's impeachment number one. And the book Takeover looks at how the Federalist Society became the most powerful legal organization in the country. Six of the nine current Supreme Court justices are uh, current or former members of the Federalist Society. And Takeover dives into what the organization is, what it stands for, its relationship with American politics. The Federalist Society is an organization anyone in my audience should be aware of. And the audiobook 
has a ton of excellent insight into it and the role it plays. I really enjoyed listening to the audiobook. I think anybody in my audience would as well. So grab Takeover by Noah Feldman. The audiobook is just 4.99 and you can get it at davidpackman.com/takeover or wherever you buy audiobooks. One of our sponsors today is Nebia, the creator of the world's most innovative showerhead. It uses only about half the water that other showerheads do, saving you money, helping the environment. But it's actually a lot more powerful than other showerheads on the market. It has twice the coverage of other showerheads. The water sprays with a ton of pressure. I've been using it in my bathroom at home. I love it. Only took a few minutes to set up really easy, and it's been a totally different experience than any other showerhead I've used. I can get in and out of the shower way quicker now because of how powerful it is. It only takes a few seconds to get completely rinsed off. So I was actually amazed that it's only using about half as much water. Nebia also offers a number of shower accessories like shelves and curtains, which match perfectly with the design of the showerhead. The showerhead starts at just one ninety nine, but the first hundred people to go to nebia.com slash Pacman and use code Pacman will get 15 percent off all Nebia products. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. Despite what you might read in the YouTube comments about our show, uh, we are not funded by big corporate donors or rich dudes with a bunch of cash or anything like that. We're mostly funded by individual memberships on our website, joinpacman.com, and I would love for you to grab such a membership. February was a tough month for us from the standpoint of memberships. I would love for you to sign up, get instant access to the bonus show and the commercial free audio and video feeds of the show. Joinpacman.com is the place to do it. And you can get a discount. Uh, anybody who wants it can have it. Better 21 is the coupon code. CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Conference. It culminated yesterday in an erratic and delusional crescendo with former President Donald Trump's first speech since leaving office on January 20th. The speech started, of course, 70 minutes late for no good reason, endlessly delayed and was rife with all of the things we would expect from Donald Trump. Lies about what he did, lies about what he didn't do, lies about what Joe Biden has done so far, lies about what Joe Biden has not done so far, lies about immigrants, lies about covid, lies about the economy a victimhood complex that would be uh, uh, worthy of a few decades of psychoanalysis. And of course, yes, false claims that Donald Trump actually won the election. The speech was expected to be a Fidel Castro like two hours or more. In the end, it was about 90 minutes. Trump appeared to sort of skip a bunch of the end when he and the crowd seemed increasingly bored by the things that he was saying. The crowd was also bored and silent during many parts of the speech. They were most riled up. And this tells you a lot about the state of the Republican Party. The crowd most titillated when Trump called covid the China virus. They erupted with a standing ovation when Trump claimed he won the election. The crowd went nuts. And when Trump talked about the new wedge issue of transgender women in sports, the crowd also gave a standing ovation. Those were the things that were most interesting to the crowd. I can't possibly cover the whole speech. I want to touch on some key moments. Donald Trump opened the speech by claiming that his presidency was the most successful in history. 
despite losing and becoming one of on, uh, of only 10 one term presidents. Trump says his was the most successful to so many wonderful friends, conservatives and fellow citizens in this room and all across our country. I stand before you today to declare that the incredible journey we begun together, we went through a journey like nobody else. There's never been a journey like it. There's never been a journey so successful. We began it together four years ago. Interesting to take a presidency with no accomplishments a globally humiliating failure on the pandemic and a huge electoral loss and call it the most successful. But OK, the crowd, I guess, liked it. Most importantly, Donald Trump making it clear he is not starting a new party. And the, the president, the former president rightly identifies that starting a new party would make Republicans lose for a long time. We're not starting new parties. You know, they kept saying he's going to start a brand new party. We have the Republican Party. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. That was fake news. Fake news. No. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Let's start a new party and let's divide our vote so that you can never win. No, we're not interested in that. So Trump's analysis there is correct. Uh, the, the best assessment is the reports were accurate at the time. Trump was thinking of starting a new party. But he was talked out of it for this reason, that it would fracture the right and they wouldn't win for a very long time, which was also our assessment of that idea. As usual, Donald Trump cites out of context and apparently meaningless polling numbers about how popular he is. He can't get away from this. Take a listen. Mr. McLaughlin just gave me numbers that nobody's ever heard of before. More popular than anybody. That's all of us. It's all of us. Those are great numbers, and I want to thank you very much. Those are incredible numbers. I came here, and he was giving me 95 percent, 97 percent, 92 percent. No one has ever been more popular than Trump, according to Mr. McLaughlin. The reality is Trump is the only president never to poll 50 percent approval throughout his presidency and the only president to leave office with an approval so low. It was 29 percent approval when Donald Trump left office. And then after all of these lies, Donald Trump pulls out the big lie that he won. And maybe he will even win the presidential election a third time, alluding to maybe running in 2024. And the crowd goes nuts. But who knows? Who knows? I may even decide to beat them for a third time. OK. Importantly, though, Donald Trump did not announce his 2024 candidacy. It was rumored he might at yesterday's speech. He said he might run and that we'll see. We'll get to that later. Trump again claims that if the election had been fair, he would have won. I said it uh, had we had a fair election. The results would have been much different. And then Donald Trump launched another brutal but completely ignorant attack on wind power. You knew he would do it. How bad is wind power? So I talk about it all the time at CPAC, right? We went to CPAC. Remember last I said, we're going to watch the president. Well, uh, Alice, uh, the wind isn't blowing. I don't believe we'll have any electricity. Remember, we would we would kid. But I wasn't actually kidding. 
It's such an important, it's such an expensive form of energy. It's so bad for the environment. It kills the birds. It destroys the landscapes. And remember, these are structural columns with fans on them. They wear out. And when they wear out all over the country, you see them. Nobody takes them down. They're rotting. They're rusting. How this is environmentally good for our country, and it costs Many, many times more than natural gas, which is clean. It costs many more to, and can fuel our great factories. Wind can't do that. And clearly Donald Trump understanding nothing about wind power. That's the takeaway. Uh, wind power is bad for the environment, and he says it kills birds. It's, it's not bad for the environment. Uh, wind turbines do kill some birds, but fossil fuel power kills way more animals and Trump doesn't seem to care about that at all. It's merely a talking point that does well with the uninformed crowd. Then Donald Trump again claims he won the election twice and the crowd just loves it. I'm famous for the rest of their lives. We won the election twice. I mean, you know, think about it. Twice. The task for our movement. And then Donald Trump introducing the new wedge issue gets a standing ovation. The issue is trans women in sports. No, I think it's crazy. I think it's just crazy what's happening. We must protect the integrity of women's sports. So important after. He then went into a mildly transphobic rant about that issue. And the crowd re-energized by that. Now, this next part is really important. Donald Trump is not starting his own party. I mentioned that earlier, but he's going out hard against Republicans. He doesn't like Republicans. He sees as not loyal enough to him. And he calls out a long list of Republican senators and members of the House here. Democrats don't have grandstanders like Mitt Romney, little Ben Sass, Richard Burr, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Pat Toomey. And in the House, Tom Rice, South Carolina, Adam Kinzinger, Dan Newhouse, Anthony Gonzalez, that's another beauty, Fred Upton, Jamie Herrera Butler, Peter Meyer, John Katko, David Valadeo, and of course, the warmonger, a person that loves seeing our troops fighting, Liz Cheney. How about that? So while Donald Trump did recognize that starting his own party would be bad for the right, he apparently doesn't think that attacking other Republicans will be bad for the right. Maybe he's right. I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see what impact that has. But Trump going very hard against other Republicans and then Trump plugging a website where you can give money. He now says he's committed to helping Republicans in 2022, and he has a website where you can donate more money. He pitches that next. There's only one way to contribute to our efforts to elect America first Republican conservatives and in turn to make America great again, and that's through Save America PAC and Donald J. Trump. So go out there and do whatever you can, because we're going to help a lot of great people. Now, based on his grifting tens of millions of dollars to, quote, fight the election results, which he just kept for himself, 
just months ago. I'm skeptical that your donations to this new grift are really going to go to what he claims they're going to go for. And then as the speech started winding down nearly 90 minutes after it started, Donald Trump teasing that he might run in 2024. With your help, we will take back the House. We will win the Senate and then a Republican president will make a triumphant return to the White House. And I wonder who that will be. I wonder who that will be. Who, who, who will that be? I wonder. So, yeah, the important takeaways, Trump has learned nothing. He's still repeating the same lies. The crowd still mostly loves it. So maybe it's the correct lies to repeat. I don't know. He's uh, not yet committed to running in 2024, but he's not starting his own party. And he's very willing to attack Republicans who don't 100 percent lay down for Trump to walk all over them. Those are the takeaways. And beyond that, the bit players during the entire CPAC weekend mostly sucked up to Donald Trump or at least avoided direct criticism of Donald Trump. So the overall takeaway is this remains the party of Trump for the time being. And Mitt Romney's statement last week that the nomination is Trump's if he wants it in 2024. As of today, March 1st, still holds true. Things can change. I still think that if a lot of these Trumpian uh, elected officials like a uh, Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Madison Cawthorn, now ac accused by like 30 women of, of harassment during college, if they go down in flames in 2022, it starts to change the picture for Trump in 2024. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. After the break, we'll look at a few other key moments from CPAC. There weren't that many. And we'll also have more coverage, coverage of this on the show's Instagram page, rapidly approaching 100,000 followers on Instagram. You can find us there at David Pakman Show. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors is Vincero Watches, giving you 15% off. A high quality wristwatch is the perfect way to elevate your style. Own at least one watch that makes you feel great when you put it on. You can often see me wearing my Vincero watch on the show. Mine is the gunmetal vessel model. I'm a big fan of the metallic look of the face of the watch. I like the silicone strap. You won't find a better made watch for this good a price anywhere else. When you put it on, you know you got more than you paid for. Vincero believes in crafting super quality watches from high end materials, but selling them at fair prices, which is why they have over 26,000 five star reviews. And they stand behind every watch they make with a one year return policy and five year warranty. They'll give you 15% off everything in their store and free shipping when you go to davidpackman.com slash watch and use coupon code Pacman. You can find the URL in the podcast notes. Just make sure to use promo code Pacman. One of our sponsors is Magic Spoon, the breakfast cereal that tastes just like the sugary, tasty, delicious cereals we loved as kids, but without the sugar 
and without the carbs. Magic Spoon is sweet and delicious with zero grams of sugar, 13 grams of protein and only four net carbs, making it perfect for a low carb or keto diet. This month, Magic Spoon is releasing two amazing new flavors. We're talking about cookies and cream and maple waffle only available for a limited time. Of course, you can still get cocoa, fruity, frosted peanut butter and cinnamon. Build your own variety pack. Our team has tried every flavor. We keep asking them to send us more. Magic Spoon ships to the US and Canada. Go to magicspoon.com slash Pacman. The link is in the podcast notes and you'll get five dollars off and free shipping when you use coupon code Pacman at checkout. Welcome back to the David Pacman Show. So interestingly enough, there's not actually that much to cover from CPAC, the conservative political action conference. We covered Donald Trump's speech earlier in the show, uh, and there's only a few other things to say Uh, CPAC. You know, at one point, CPAC really was one of the more important right wing conferences with many big players from the American right. And this past weekend, CPAC was more like a racist, transphobic religious Comic Con than a serious gathering. And I don't even want to insult Comic Con, like comparing CPAC to Comic Con. Comic Con has a lot of really interesting things. Comic Con has lots of uh, great uh, sci fi writers and a lot of interesting things. I think I would learn a lot more actually by going to Comic Con than I would from CPAC. So I'll, I'll put it a different way. I would much rather go to Comic Con than CPAC. Not only would it be more informative, I'd meet more interesting people and people more grounded in reality. In any case, Comic-Con sort of uh, analogies aside, one of the notable speeches was Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is the now very much beleaguered senator who recently had had to cut his Cancun vacation short because it exploded into a public relations nightmare when he fled to Mexico with his family as his own constituents in Texas were without power, sometimes without heat, struggling even to get food. Water had to be boiled many times with electricity they didn't have. Ted Cruz went to Cancun. So Ted Cruz goes to CPAC and he appeared to have sort of like a manic episode. His speech ended with a completely hyperbolic crescendo of screaming, which we'll get to. But Ted Cruz first opening with a joke about wanting to be back in Cancun, I guess. God bless CPAC. I got to say. Orlando is awesome. It's not as nice as Cancun. But it's nice. So really well-crafted comedy by the Republican senator, really a wordsmith and uh, public speaking uh, uh, expert, as you can see. Then uh, he ridiculously went after Senator Bernie Sanders and Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We're actually going to come back to the AOC part a little bit later, but take a look. Bernie is wearing mittens. And AOC is telling us she was murdered. And the media 
desperately, desperately, desperately wants to see a Republican civil war. So this is like I can't figure out if this is bad comedy or terrible political speech. I, I actually can't tell which it is. Maybe it's both. Ted Cruz then going into an anti mask rant. They're still on this mask stuff, by the way. How many of you all have eaten at a restaurant in the last six months? Can I just stop and say how strange the rules are right now? I want to understand how this virus works. So when you walk in, you got to put your mask on. Sadly, I've got two. You walk in, you got to put your mask on. You sit down, you take your mask off. See, apparently the virus is actually connected to elevation. No, no, remember, this is all about science. It's actually, it may not be elevation. I think it's, it, it's that there are hormones that are released in your thighs when you're sitting. So you can sit at the table and there's no virus being transmitted. But if you stand up, put the mask on. Who wrote this stuff for Ted Cruz? They should really be writing for SNL or The Daily Show. I mean, great, great material for how you would ridicule a politician giving a speech. Uh, And then here is where Ted Cruz starts to kind of escalate and seemingly get more and more manic. They're saying everybody can get immunized. We can have herd immunity everywhere and we're going to wear masks for the next 300 years. And by the way, not just one mask, two, three, four. You can't have too many masks. How much virtue do you want to signal? This is just dumb. Ted Cruz working himself up to actually being sort of short of breath now. And of course, as I've said many times before, the reason that public health experts have to be so cautious in what they say about what an individual getting vaccinated means is that so many people like Ted Cruz, like his followers, like the people at CPAC, they are desperate to disregard all guidelines and measures measures. Oh, one person got vaccinated. Let's hold a 50 person indoor party. Of course, reasonable people know that vaccination opens new doors for people. And of course, as more people get vaccinated, we will be able to start backing off of all the guidelines. But because of people like Ted Cruz spreading disinformation that we never needed masks and all of this stuff all along was bogus, public health experts have to say just because you got vaccinated, don't go nuts. Just because five percent of the population has had two doses, I don't or whatever the number is, I'm not caught up. We'll we'll have a report tomorrow. Doesn't mean everything can be disregarded. Uh, Ted Cruz now uh, is is, uh, and I've seen, unfortunately, Facebook friends posting this, too. If the vaccines change nothing, why would I get a vaccine? And of course, as we talked about last week in our segment about vaccine alarmism, that's not the case. But the reason people have to continue being so careful with what they say from a public health standpoint is because of people like Ted Cruz. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt this rant and do more of it tomorrow. Then here's the absolute end to Ted Cruz's speech screaming at the top of his lungs and really appearing to lose it in the immortal words of William Wallace. Freedom. So that's a senator 
one of 100 senators in the collegial and storied legislative body that is the United States government, uh, the United States Senate within the United States government, screaming at the top of his lungs, quoting Mel Gibson and Braveheart as an apparently defiant and principled stand against wearing a mask during a pandemic. This was one of the highlights of CPAC. If you can imagine most of the rest of it, not even worth covering. But one theme that we did see throughout CPAC is the inability to accept that Donald Trump lost. And I want to talk about that next. A CPAC was mostly worthless. The second day uh, was a complete throwaway. Nothing worth covering happened on the second day, Saturday, which is good because I was in bed with a fever from my second coronavirus vaccine dose. I wouldn't have been able to cover any of it anyway. Fortunately, in a sense, there was nothing worth covering. But one theme that sort of wound its way throughout Friday and Saturday and Sunday is that CPAC attendees were unwilling to accept that Donald Trump lost. We are what? Just a few days short of four December, January, February, March. We're days from being four months beyond the election, which Joe Biden easily won more easily than the margin by which Trump won in 2016. And CPAC speakers, I guess because they're still sort of kowtowing to Trump, placating Trump, will not admit that Trump simply lost. Let's go through some examples. Here is Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch. This is one bizarre guy with some kooky ideas saying Trump had the votes on Election Day, but vote totals changed as ballots were counted. Can you imagine? Take a listen. On Election Day, President Trump had the votes to win the presidency. These vote totals were changed because of unprecedented and extraordinary counting after Election Day. Now, in a literal sense, what Tom Fitton says is true. Votes that were cast by Election Day were counted after Election Day legally, as always happens with absentee ballots. And as those votes were counted, the results changed. Yet that, that is in a technical sense, it is true. He wants you to believe something illegal happened. Of course, it didn't. Then Larry Kudlow, Donald Trump's former uh, economic advisor, talking about polling from last October. He's po we have ballots that we counted. Now you talk about polling beforehand. But Larry Kudlow is talking about polling from before the election comments on that. I was interested last October, a Gallup poll said 56 percent of Americans believed at that time that they were better off than they were four years ago, despite the fact that they had been in the pandemic. They still believe that they were better off. That's a Trump thing. That's a Trump thing. And then Josh Hawley gets a standing ovation after reminding the crowd that he voted not to certify the election results on January 6th. This was part of what incited the violent riot. And the crowd gives Josh Hawley a standing ovation. You know, on January the 6th, I objected during the Electoral College certification. Maybe you heard about it. I did. I stood up, 
Uh, I, I guess the crowd believes that they are being principled in some way by giving Josh Hawley this standing ovation for an action, Hawley's action, much like Ted Cruz and others that melded with Rudy Giuliani's uh, trial by combat thing and all this other stuff. And of course, Trump's speech saying, let's go to the Capitol and led to a riot, the crowd cheering it. Then Matt Schlapp, who runs the American Conservative Union, that's the organization that organizes CPAC, saying that what happened in November, it was an unconstitutional power grab in leaving CPAC. It would be do all you can to any member that we have any influence over to explain to them that it's unacceptable to have this unconstitutional power grab on elections so that what we saw this election will be what you will see every single election. And we have to fight it now. It wasn't an unconstitutional power grab. It was that Joe Biden won. They still can't accept it. And why should they? Trump still hasn't accepted that Hillary got more votes than him in 2016. It's been five years and Trump doesn't accept those results. So, of course, they're not going to accept the results from almost four months ago. Since they think they won, they won't be changing their strategy either. And here's House Minority Leader gives me great pleasure to say Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy laying out the plan. Listen. We're going to continue to do exactly what we did in the last election. Okay, I mean, if you think you won, I guess you do the same thing. And uh, they are also, as we talked about earlier in the show, planning to suppress more votes. They're already scheming to do it. We gave you a report earlier in the show about two hundred and fifty three different bills and measures to suppress voting across 43 states. Republicans believe they won, I guess. Certainly they don't want to change their strategy but they didn't suppress enough votes. And that's what they're going to try to do. Now, one last hilarious moment. This is this is my favorite. Right side broadcasting is one of these online based right wing uh, channels. I don't think they're as big as Newsmax and OAN, but they're big enough that they're worried about getting sued. And uh, CPAC was rife with uh, anti science discussions related to covid and rife with anti fact discussions related to the election. Right side broadcasting during a CPAC panel discussion about the election cut away to read one of the funniest disclaimers I've ever heard to try to protect themselves from legal liability. Three different states, 42,000 votes, 45,000 votes, something like that. And we would have had an electoral college uh, vote of 269 to 269. There's a lot of sensitive then, topics Republicans that are being talked about right now. We want everyone to do your own research in regards to what they're talking about in the discussion right now, uh, anything with the election or anything like that. So uh, it's important to do your own research. I know there's several outlets here that are able to completely uh, broadcast all of this content uh, for you with any disclaimer at all. But unfortunately, here at Right Side Broadcasting, we must jump in here and put a small disclosure that we want you to do your own research, and it's very important that we do that. Yeah, absolutely. Just quickly, although we are broadcasting these speakers, we want to provide you with that. It does not mean that we necessarily believe or support all of their beliefs of every single speak speaker talking today. So make sure that you research everything. You talk to your healthcare physicians, whether it's regarding COVID or medical information, and if it's um, election related, just look look it up. Look everything up, and we are just not endorsing any speakers for the event. Again, we are simply broadcasting these speakers. Talk to your healthcare physicians. There's so many election lies and so many bogus medical claims being made at CPAC 
that right side broadcasting has to cut away and issue this absolute gold disclaimer. And at one point, uh, they also um, they interrupted Mike Lindell from my pillow during an interview. I'm not even going to play it because it's so stupid, but they interrupted and said, uh, you know, we have to be really careful, Mike, because we could lose our entire thing. And Mike Lindell said, oh, 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 oh. you can find that clip if you want, like an extra bonus clip. But this is where my coverage of CPAC ends. We're going to take a quick break. We'll do more vaccine stuff after the break and many more things. Glad you're with us on this first show in March 2021. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. One of our sponsors is Sussman and Han. Sussman and Han has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other supplies to stay safe during covid-19. And Sussman and Han is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks and other PPE because I trust the products that they sell. And that's actually why we reached out to them about becoming a sponsor, because their prices are reasonable. Ordering is simple. Everything ships within 24 hours and they just have high quality products for this global hundred year pandemic. They've got surgical masks, KN95 masks, N95 masks, other useful things like infrared thermometers, face shields, sanitizers. Sussman and Han is also an awesome company because they've donated over 65,000 masks so far to healthcare institutions. Shipping is free on orders over $150. You can get to their website by going to davidpackman.com slash mask, and you'll find the link in the podcast notes and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code David. That's davidpackman.com slash mask coupon code David for 20% off. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do, perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many practical advantages to using steady MD for primary care, and it's also so much more affordable. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's steadymd.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's steadymd.com forward slash P-A-K-M-A-N.
The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So last week I did a segment that I received a ton of positive feedback about, and it generated some really good discussions about deprogramming cultists and those who have been brainwashed by disinformation. As a reminder, the YouTube video was called I Confronted an Anti-Vaxxer. It didn't go well. Well, and in that video, I chronicled an email exchange I had with a covid anti-vaccine person who emailed me saying that I was being paid to promote vaccines which aren't really vaccines and which don't work anyway and which are killing people. And when I asked her for the sources for that information, she ran away and provided nothing. Well, this segment, aside from being instructive in itself, also generated a ton of responses from even more anti vaccine people, all coming out of the woodwork to attack me, all equally uninformed, all sending me even more outrageous emails. It was like cascading anti vax inbox explosions. So because people found last week's clip so interesting, I chose just one. I mean, I can't respond to all these. I chose one of the subsequent emails to respond to. And I'll show you how that one went. And it's basically just as bad. All right. The the follow up, I got an email from a woman named Brittany who wrote to me responding to my email exchange from last week with Amy saying, quote, how can you promote these unsafe vaccines? I'm sure you heard of the nurse who fainted after getting her covid vaccine and then they tried to replace her after she died because of it. Brittany sends me a link to a website called leaseahumanelife.wordpress.com, which is some kind of poorly formatted blog which claims that the nurse who fainted after getting the vaccine is actually dead and has been replaced by a lookalike, but a poor enough lookalike that I guess Brittany can tell it's not actually the same person. Now, initially, I ignored this because it's so dumb and it's been so widely debunked. We know that the nurse didn't die. We know there's lots of people who just faint around needles. We don't know if this nurse fainted as a, a, a rare reaction to being vaccinated specifically by this vaccine or she just faints around needles, a sort of vasovagal incident. But most importantly, she didn't die. But I didn't respond because it seemed like a waste of time. But Brittany was not to be ignored. Brittany was persistent and she followed up emailing me again, saying, I sent you proof about the vaccines causing deaths. I haven't heard back. So I assume either you haven't had time to look at it or just like everyone else, you don't want the truth. Fraud is a serious thing, and that's what all this is. So I don't understand why things are being covered up. It will all come out in court. So I don't know what else to say. Just that at least if you took time to read this, thanks for your time. So now I did write back uh, since Brittany really seems to want an answer. I wrote back to Brittany and I said that nurse didn't die. None of your links were reputable. Here is a reputable source, Reuters. And I link Brittany to a Reuters article which reports, including naming the nurse and citing actual statements from people on the record. The nurse who fainted after COVID-19 vaccine did not die. 
Catholic Health Initiatives Memorial Hospital in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where nurse manager Tiffany Dover works, confirmed to Reuters that she is well, to which our friend Brittany wrote. Remember, Brittany first was saying the fact that you're not responding. It's because clearly what I sent you is true. The nurse died. I write Brittany back and explain to her what actually is going on. And Brittany writes back and without addressing the facts, says simply, quote, I don't understand how you could cover for these people. You know, the proof is solid, but that's on you. Justice will come. Now, as we discussed last week, every time I I show something like this or some of the hate mail that I get, people write in and say, David, these aren't people who are just wrong. These people are clearly suffering from mental illness, often paranoid delusions. Now, I certainly can't diagnose that. I don't know how my audience can, but the mental illness component in general is something that can't be ignored. But either way, taking this at face value, someone who believes Lisa humane life without any citations over a specific report from Reuters with source links and naming individuals that are giving statements. That's not someone I think I can get back to reality, mental illness or not. That's just a pragmatic reality. And the problem ultimately is we need to get these folks vaccinated in order to build herd immunity. So it's not merely an academic or theoretical thing to figure out, like, how can we reach them if they all don't, depending on how many of them they are. And based on the herd immunity numbers we're looking at right now, requirements that we're looking at now at least some of these folks are going to have to get vaccinated for us to really achieve herd immunity. That's my only concern, you know, saying this person is just nuts or this is a bad person or this is a liar or this is someone who's mentally ill. It's a a curious question, but less relevant to actually figuring out how to deal with this. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have an answer. I'm interested in hearing from you if you think you have one. Um, While Republican Senator Ted Cruz was flying back and forth from Cancun, Mexico, late two weeks ago, Democratic New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was raising millions of dollars for Ted Cruz's Texas constituents and was volunteering at the Houston Food Bank for Ted Cruz's constituents. Now, did Ted Cruz thank AOC? No, he didn't. Did Texas Governor Greg Abbott thank AOC and Beto O'Rourke and all the other Democrats who fundraised for Texans? They didn't. Did they thank AOC and other Democrats who flew to Texas and went to work at the Houston Food Bank to help Ted Cruz's constituents? No, they didn't thank them for that either either. And when Ted Cruz finally mentioned AOC, it was Friday during his CPAC speech. We saw this clip earlier during our Ted Cruz clip. Here it is again. Here is Ted Cruz making fun of AOC for her experience during the January 6th Trump riots. Bernie is wearing mittens. And AOC is telling us she was murdered. (laughs) And the media desperately, desperately, desperately wants to see a Republican civil war. Now, what is Ted Cruz even talking about, aside from just being a disgusting human being? Ted Cruz is referring to the Twitter exchange in which AOC had tweeted that, quote, there must or or not, not quote. She tweeted that there must be an investigation of Robin Hood for their role in the GameStop fiasco. And Ted Cruz retweeted AOC saying fully agree. 
And AOC, instead of sort of accepting Ted Cruz's, I guess, bipartisanship, um, AOC tweeted a rebuke of Ted Cruz saying, quote, I'm happy to work with Republicans on this issue where there is common ground. But you almost had me murdered three weeks ago so you can sit this one out. Happy to work with almost any other Republicans that aren't trying to get me killed. In the meantime, if you want to help, you can resign. Now, some people loved this response from AOC, saying it's AOC standing by her principles, regardless of whether on this one issue Ted Cruz agrees with her. Others were sort of upset that AOC responded aggressively to a senator saying, I want to do I, I agree with you on this particular issue. Now, Ted Cruz is so disgusting that I do tend to side with AOC on this particular one. But this is less about AOC and more about the fact that even Republicans from Texas who did nothing for their constituents during the storm can't simply thank AOC for what she did do for Texas. AOC has done more for Texans than their own senator. Dozens of people died in Texas. AOC helped them, raised money, went to Texas, went to a Houston food bank and worked. Ted Cruz went to Cancun and he's making fun of AOC. The the you know, uh, everybody lighten up is the type of thing people say when they failed to deal with something serious and they want everybody else to take it less seriously. That's how they tell everyone not to worry about it. Now, maybe people like Ted Cruz see AOC as a sucker for helping Texans. What I mean is she didn't have to do it. Like legally speaking, Texans aren't her constituents. She's the sucker. Maybe that's the view Ted Cruz has. AOC was suckered into helping people who don't even get to vote for her one way or the other. Either way, these are really pathetic people. And we can only hope that they are eventually held accountable. And like I said last week, unfortunately, with Ted Cruz's next election, if he chooses to run for reelection still four years away, I'm not super optimistic that this entire fiasco is really going to hit him in any way that it will actually hurt. I hope to be wrong. Uh, but I mean, you know, when a Democratic New York congresswoman is doing more for Texas constituents than their own senator who's trying to escape to the beach in Mexico, you know that one of two things is going on. Number one, either voters really don't care what their elected officials do and they care only about what they say, which is quite probable. Uh, or two, there may not uh, we, we may just not have a system that has consequences for bad actors in the political system, in which case we have to figure out other ways to win these elections, probably some combination of the two. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. Um, I got a lot of voicemails about CPAC, a few dozen of them. I'm going to play one for you here. And you may have noticed that the sort of slogan or motto for CPAC this year, the Conservative Political Action Conference was America uncancelled. And this is referring to a couple of different things uncancelled in terms of the right has seen covid guidelines as not public health uh, uh, needs but rather as the cancellation of American people, of American business, et cetera. So CPAC uncanceled in one way means the uncanceling of things that were canceled due to covid. They also are now waging this so-called war against cancel culture. So so kind of a double meaning. Here's a voicemail I got about really what they mean by cancel culture. Take a listen to this. Hey, David, Adam from Layton, Utah here. Yes, I want to say that cancel culture is really just 
another form of victimhood yes. from the uh, right-wing conservatives in America. Anywho, what's going on there? Why are they... Why does victimhood appeal so much? I don't know. Help me make sense of this. Thanks. Yeah, I, I don't know about victimhood is so appealing to the right. Victimhood is useful to the right. And if you listen to Donald Trump's CPAC speech yesterday, if you listen to Donald Trump's entire presidency and everybody around him and right wing media for a party and a political movement that has claimed for decades to be about personal responsibility, the degree to which they have made themselves the victims of everything is quite stunning. It really is. Donald Trump has been treated unfairly by the media. The right has been treated unfairly by public health officials. It's all they are the endless uh, victims all the time. And I, I, from a psychological standpoint, I'd be interested to learn more about what it is that makes it appealing to them. I think it's politically useful. I think right wing elected officials, Republican elected officials have realized that particularly the, the sort of right wing populists that the rhetoric of victimhood about how they are trying to fight for you, but everybody's attacking them. It fits in very neatly with this right wing populist faux populist rhetoric that they uh, endlessly repeat and promote, even though it links in absolutely no way to the actual policies that they put forward. So for me, it's more about political utility and they've been uh, self victimizing when it comes to how they're being treated on social media networks, ignoring that the stuff that's in violation of the terms of service is coming overwhelmingly from them. They ignore that. They look only at a sort of consequences based approach. And then, of course, what that gets you to is they believe they should be free of consequences. There shouldn't be any consequences to the things that they do or the things that they say and any consequences to their speech or actions by definition are them being attacked. Uh, this, um, unfortunately, because this has worked so well at building uh, this, this very strange political coalition that now exists on the right, because it's worked well, I, I expect it to stay for a long time. Um, but I'm curious to hear from people in the audience psychologically what makes this victim victim is self victimization so so appealing. Uh, is there something beyond just its utility that makes it appealing? We have a great bonus show for you today. Speaking of cancel culture, we will talk about the latest weapon in the culture wars, Mr. Potato Head. Yeah, we'll also talk about some very interesting new studies relating to uh, dreams and the meaning and significance of dreams and utility. And also we will talk about the doctor fired after giving away expiring doses of the covid vaccine. I got a trash what I call a trash vaccine. I rescued a dose from the trash by being on, a, on an on call list. I got my second dose Friday. Um, a doctor was fired for making use of those about to be in the trash vaccines. We will talk about all of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. <laughs>